Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Ryan Davis. Ryan Davis has been running the Mummers Festival for the past seven years. He holds an MA in Folklore and a BA in Communication Studies. It was his interest in festivals, celebrations, and costuming that led him to mummering traditions. The Mummers Festival promotes the continuation and evolution of traditional arts and performance by encouraging active participation in mummering activities. The Mummers Festival helps to keep mummering alive and contemporary and adds to the population's pride of place. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dale. I'm delighted you're here. Me too. This is great. Um, so I guess maybe to start off with, I, th- I think if we're talking to Newfoundland audiences, they all know what mummering is. But if on the off chance someone is listening and they have no idea what a mummer is, uh, what is a mummer? A mummer is a disguised character. Uh, and uh, mummering is a practice that happens in uh, all places around the world, but in Newfoundland and Labrador, the uh, act of mummering is about getting a group of friends together, getting disguised uh, with anything you have around the house. Um, this is usually not overly planned either, by the way. Uh, and then you would go to the house of someone you know dressed in disguise. You would knock on their door. They'd open the door and there'd be this group of very unusual, foolish characters standing there. And you would ask to be let into the house. You would want to change your voice. Uh, the the classic voice it would be to inhale when you speak. You'd ask to be let in something like, Any mummers loud in? And uh, then, which is quite creepy and scary in my <laughs> yeah. mind, especially for anyone who's never experienced this before. Uh, and then you go, uh, hopefully you'll be let into the house. The hosts will try and guess who you are. Um, they might poke and prod at you. They might ask questions. Uh, and the mummers will try to keep their identity concealed for a period of time. Um, but eventually they do want to be guessed because once you are guessed, you remo- remove your veil or your head covering, and then uh, the host will give you something to eat and uh, hopefully something to drink. Uh, so that would be... Um, and then at that point, you would uh, have a little party in their house and then perhaps go on to another house and another house and another house. Sometimes those people that you would visit might even join you. They might get rigged up, as they call it, um, to get dressed and join you. So that's sort of a typical night of mummering. Right. You talk about veils and and head coverings. What does a mummer look like? It it, it is incredibly varied. So um, mummers, the the goal of mummering when we go house to house is to be in disguise. So uh, people might think that it's a costume, but it's more of a disguise. So people might stuff their clothing, uh, make themselves look oddly shapen because your body shape will give you away. Or uh, a head covering, you want to make sure that they can't really see your eyes because eyes are such a giveaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and it can be quite varied in terms of the look. So you might end up with like a tea cozy on your head or a pillowcase with a couple eye holes and a pair of sunglasses thrown on or a Halloween mask. Um, typically, you wouldn't buy your costume. It would be what you have around the house. But also knowing that the things you have in your house might be recognized by your friends. So you have to be very careful about what you're, what you're putting on you, yourself. Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard stories about people using quilts or whatnot, uh, you know, to wrap themselves up in. And, and in, in smaller communities, uh, going to someone's house and someone saying, oh, I know, I know who made that quilt. Aunt Jane made that quilt. So you must be <laughs> so-and-so, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how, how uh, important it is to be 
um, completely not guessed, I think eventually you want you might want to throw a few hints here and there. Yeah, 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 and this takes place during the twelve days of Christmas, generally right. uh, in in the province, and uh, and and it was a it's a very old tradition, is it not? Yeah, um, we have written records of uh, mummer misdemeanor, which uh, occurred in court cases in Newfoundland that go back uh, into the early to mid eighteen hundreds, uh, and we can only assume that the tradition has been happening here for several hundred years. Yeah. It was yeah. one of these old traditions that came over from from West Country England and from Ireland and kind of took on its own flavor. Correct. Here. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's what mummering is. So tell me about the Mummers Festival and and why is there a Mummers Festival? Um, well, you know this quite well because <laughs> we were involved in this together. Uh, it's interesting how this has evolved because it really started off as a folklore project with um, myself. Uh, as a folklore student, you as yeah. a heritage um, officer with Heritage Foundation, and then uh, the folklore department. Um, the I remember back in those days, um, we were trying to figure out how can we take a tradition and um, that is supposedly dying out, although I don't think it really is, um, and give it uh, a new breath of fresh air. Right. And uh, so that's sort of how things began. Um, we followed... Um, it, was a, it was a really great experience for me because, um, well, you were on the public sector side of things, um, so it was great to sort of get the, uh, the, the mentoring from someone who's been actually taking folklore and bringing it into the public sector... Um, and then we had Jerry Poshis, who was my mentor from the university at the mm -hmm. time, who had a real interest in um, in cultural conservation and in um, folk life festival models. So yeah. he had the a the academic side. So I was sort of taking um, taking information from both of you and trying to synthesize that. Because um, you, you were an MA student in the FOCO department at that point. That's right. And I think Jerry had gotten some money through a, a grant program to hire you on for a, four months or something to do to do this work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I know when we had started with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Program uh, in 2008, one of the things that communities had said uh, was that they wanted some kind of festival around folk life. Mm. And there's, there's lots of festivals in the province that deal with folk music and performance and dance, but not so many festivals that deal with those other aspects of traditional culture. And so the idea was, oh, yeah, we'll do something around a tradition. And because I think you were on uh, the end of your contract was kind of towards Christmas. That's it right. seemed to be like a perfect, uh, it, a perfect yeah. fit. Yeah, I think timing had a lot to do with yeah. why mummering was chosen as the subject. Yeah, and, and but I know, like looking back now, because this past Christmas was what was what year for the festival? It was the seventh seventh yeah. year. Like yeah. it, it was never thought to be kind of a permanent festival. It was going to be a one-off <laughs> kind of deal. That's right. Uh, tell me about what are your memories of that first festival? Uh, well, my my first memory of the parade was that I thought I was going to have a heart attack <laughs> because it was sort of like throwing a birthday party for yourself and hoping that someone sh would show up. Just come, someone yeah. would come, <laughs> and because it had never happened before, we I know we put a lot of work into trying to create an image of what it could be. Yeah, and uh, so just like hoping that a dozen people would show up was like a great thing, and then 
all of a sudden there were like several hundred people who showed up ready to throw on a costume or come in disguise and uh, hit beat the streets as mummers and it was it was exhilarating and I actually did think I was going to have a heart attack <laughs> my heart was like jumping it was very thrilling um, that festival I think was the most events we ever did uh, I think we did 19 events that year yeah um, and because it's not just uh, the parade. There are other things that happen. That's right. And yeah. I, I, it was designed so that these um, events that happened p- before the parade would offer people um, information about mummering if they'd never done it before, expose them to mummers, people who are um, – or tradition bearers or whatever the word people like to use these days mm-hmm. – uh, to uh, expose them to the finer details of mummering. So all these events were set up as momentum builders so that people would be fully equipped and ready to participate. And participation is the key word there in this parade rather than being just a spectator watching a group of mummers. Yeah, I I remember, you know, talking to people that first year, 2009, when the festival started and, and telling people, oh, there's going to be a mummers parade and people saying, oh, I can't wait to come see the parade. (laughs) <laughs> and having to say it's not that kind of parade, you know, it's it's not like a, like the Santa Claus parade, which is a parade that everyone thinks of when they think of Christmas. It's actually a participatory event. Why do you think that that idea of participation is important with a festival like this? Well, I think that's really the essence of what we're trying to do is to um, because being a mummer is a, quite an embodied experience. You know, you're. Um, you're supposed to understand what it's like to um, to feel the heat of a pillow stuffed in your shirt right. and uh, perhaps the this clumsy discomfort of wearing an unusual costume and what that brings. Uh, and, the, the, you know, mummering is an act or a behavior. It's uh, all these things that we want people to experience. It's very experiential. Um, so to view a mummer is um, doesn't really cut it, you know. It's sort of like uh, I've often used a comparison of like hanging a, a mummer ornament on your tree. Like you can feel nostalgia, you can look at it, but it doesn't really tell you what it's like to be that. Mm-hmm. So you know, the the whole idea of the parade was to get people as close to to experience something as close to the real house tradition as possible there are elements missing from the parade um but it's still like it's pretty good even yeah. though it, and and maybe that's an interesting thing to talk about because you know the there is this house to house visiting tradition that you you've mentioned and the mummers festival addresses that it refers to it it plays with that idea but it's not exactly that tradition it's it's slightly different it's a different thing mm-hmm. um so how do you balance that as a festival organizer you know or as, or as a folklorist you know because you are are you creating a new tradition or are you playing with an old tradition or is it somewhere in between well we're definitely playing with old tradition and i think we are definitely creating something new yeah um and I think that's how traditions are supposed to work in yeah. a lot of ways, that we're supposed to take something from the past, make it uh, something for ourselves that's irrelevant and um, fits the time. Um, what I hear from people when I've talked to them about mummering is that it doesn't happen as much in the communities. And a big part of that is they don't know their neighbors as much yeah. as they used to. Communities aren't as tight-knit as they used to be. And mummering um, just doesn't happen as much because of this. So that's the reality of the situation. And uh, in St. John's especially, 
you're amongst a lot of people you don't know. And um, perhaps this version of mummering sort of satisfies people's want to engage in the tradition, yet also um, is in, in step with the time, which is that we don't know our neighbors quite as well, but mm -hmm. we can still have this communal coming together of mummers uh, and have this uh, sort of ex this um, reinvention of a tradition. Right. So I, I'd like to talk a little about some of these other events that, that you have as part of the festival. And I know that there are certain events that have continued kind of from day one through the seven years. And, and at the same time, every year you try and introduce a new theme or a new type of uh, workshop or a lecture component. Um, can you talk about this? What, what's been what's been one of the more successful uh, pieces of the festival that has, has continued on through? Um, well, our workshops have always done very well. Um, our Ugly Stick workshop uh, has, uh, I think we started that year two or three, uh, and that is probably the best attended event. And then, of course, that that's a very Newfoundland type of instrument, so I understand why people are really into that. Um, and I, I anticipate that's going to go on for a while with the festival. Um, and then our Hobby Horse Workshop, that one is um, also pretty popular as well, but less so than the, the Ugly Stick. Uh, that one was a very interesting one to come up with because um, the Hobby Horse, um, for those who don't know what that is, is a, sort of a character within Mummering. Um, in Newfoundland, it was not nearly as popular as in, say, England. Uh, or Ireland, but um, it still existed, and people remember these weird horses. They were like horse puppets, so you would um, build something out of a piece of wood, or in the old days, they take actual An actual uh, skull, actual skull, yeah. right? And um, and wear these sort of disguises that had a hinged jaw, and it would snap at people, and it was sort of a um, mischievous type of character. Uh, we wanted to sort of repopulate the province with these uh, horses. So, uh, but in the attempt of trying to find someone who made them, we, we kind of came short and uh, ended up looking at a um, an actual hobby horse that was in the folklore archives, got together with the puppet maker and modeled it based on this. Um, we came up with a template and we came up with a um, series of steps to make these horses. Uh, and then put off workshops. Um, they were quite popular amongst kids, especially in mm -hmm. Boy Scouts and Girl Guides. And um, within three hours, you could take a lifeless piece of cardboard, fold it, duct tape it, glue it, uh, staple gun it, throw fabric on it, and you would have this uh, pretty lifelike, uh, well, I wouldn't say lifelike. It doesn't <laughs> quite look like a horse. Some of them look like unicorns and, yeah. and whatever, or zebras. But uh, then the, these people, the idea was if they made these, then they would participate in the parade. So it was it all fed into fed that. Fed back into the, this idea of getting people to participate in their own heritage. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And we've had failures, too. We've definitely done events that just didn't go over very well. So, maybe, so I know we don't like to talk about our failures, <laughs> but, but sometimes those are interesting lessons for other people. Is there something that just kind of hasn't worked or that hasn't resonated with the community? Well, I remember the first year we did uh, A Mummer's Memories. Do you remember this? We were like we're looking for people to come out and tell their stories of yeah. mummering. That didn't work so well. Um, and I think maybe it's better 
in the end to go to people rather have them than have them come to you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We found that with other events too that sometimes you have to be a bit more proactive and go to and kind of root out the experts in the community and bring them in. That's right. And you have done that, and it's been very. And then kind of the flip side of it then is that you you had a, a how do you mummer anyway uh, segment which was very popular. That was a great event where we would. Um, we found three people who were expert mummers, uh, and we do think of them as experts. They really do know the finer details of how to, like, what kind of costume do you need to put on so that you can take a pee break? <laughs> things right. like that, like important things to like know. Very yeah. important things <laughs> that you should know. Yeah. So, so we managed to find uh, three really great people from Fairyland uh, the first year we did that, and um, had a. I went out there did some interviews with them, and then they agreed to come into the rooms um, and do a presentation. And we just asked them questions. And it was, it was almost like an interview um, talk show type of yeah. an event. Uh, that was always really popular. And I, and I think it really served some people in terms of how they participated in the parade. I know for one, my mother was very influenced. My mother never grew up uh, mummering. But she was influenced by these women who were um, quite vivacious and uh, talked about how you talk and walk. And I could almost see her in the parade embodying these people. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, you can see how the tradition is in that instance between these groups of people and my mother. The tradition, I think, was really being passed on. Yeah. In some way, yeah, yeah, and I, and I like that idea of of including tradition bearers in some way in in the programming. And these aren't necessarily old people, like they're but they are like people who kind of live and embody that that the spirit of the tradition. Even even the ugly stick workshop, like you have a fellow come in from yeah, Trapassi, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Cave, Cave for, yeah, yeah, who's kind of like just a guy from around the bay and he comes in and, and he makes, makes deadly little ugly sticks. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And it's a really nice, it's a nice piece. It's kind of a, 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 an understated part of the festival, but just to have him there to have the presence of that kind of community expert, I think really lends kind of a sense of authenticity, I guess, to the, to the festival. Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing. I agree. Yeah. He's great. I mean, he shows he showed us how to make these, he sits in making them, but then he'll show people how to play them. And I, and I love that part of it too. So I feel like, yeah, we really are trying to make this a f- festival about folk life, and bring and having those people is really key. Yeah, yeah. This past year, uh, two thousand and fifteen, um, you had a special focus on ribbon fools, the ribbon fool tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you describe what a ribbon, ribbon fool is, and and how you went about gathering information about that? Sure. Uh, well, a ribbon fool is a, also sort of a character within Mummering that has a, a unique look. Um, these ribbon fools, like the, the name suggests, would be covered in crepe paper ribbons. Um, they would wear a tall uh, hat or a mask, often made out of cardboard, sometimes with some fur on the face. Uh, and then wear a, they would wear a white shirt, white pants, and... They would have crepe paper ribbons, maybe up to two feet long, stitched all over this. Uh, sometimes they wore white gloves with little trinkets attached to it. Um, and that sort of describes what they look like. What they did um, from our information was uh, on January January 6th in communities like Flat Rock and Pooch Cove, the uh, ribbon fools would come out and... Uh, would just sort of beat the streets. They weren't going house to house like regular mummers. They were running through the streets with a rope in their hand, 
chasing people. It was kind of like our version of the running of the bulls in a way. <laughs> uh, and they would just like run, chase kids, chase boys specifically, and try and give them a crack of the rope. Uh, and that, and then that was it. That was sort of the the idea of this this tradition. And they were often called mummers or fools uh, or ribbon fools. They were the, the names were interchangeable. So we wanted to um, this year focus on that part of the tradition. It's not practiced anymore, and it's barely in living memory. Uh, we had um, an intern this year, Sharna Brzezicki, who um, really took the lead on this specific project. Uh, and But together we went and tried to locate people who remembered this tradition. We did manage to track down um, three people who uh, remember it, and we went to meet them. And we did interviews with them. We asked them all as many detailed questions as we could to find out every little part of it. Uh, about what this tradition was about. And uh, um, from that, we ended up doing several programs, mm-hmm. um, which, and this was part of the, the Folk Life Festival process that we were trying to do. Um, first, we would start with ethnographic research, then we would develop programming based on what we learned. Right. So we didn't really know exactly where it was going to go. We just wanted to do something. Um, in the end, we ended up uh, doing a couple of presentations, uh, creating sort of a um, it was a documentary of sorts where Sharna did a presentation and um, played clips uh, to sort of give the full picture of what this tradition was. We did two events like that, uh, and then we also did a ribbon full workshop. Um, that was a really fun and interesting process. We ended up. Um, one of the f- people we met, Russell Langmead, uh, was pr- I think he might be the only person who actually has dressed as a ribbon fool that we could find. So he knew how to make the costume. So we ended up going out to Pooch Cove, meeting with him and Elka Detmer, who is a folklorist um, and a member of that community. And we sort of had our own tiny workshop together. He showed us all the finer details of putting this together. And then we took his uh, instruction and then uh, delivered it to to the public. We bought all the materials, and then people could make their own ribbon full costume. And this year, there must have been, I think there was about six, yeah, six or seven uh, ribbon fools at the parade, and it was awesome to see yeah. their ribbons like float. And that's what they described. The beauty of the ribbon fool was the the way the ribbons floated in the air when they ran, and uh, you really saw got to see that on parade day. Yeah, for me, that was one of the highlights of the Mummers Festival. It just the the parade day itself was to see the ribbon fools out. Because, you know, I, I'd read about ribbon fools and seen photos of them and done research on, uh, on them, but I'd you know, never seen them in the wild, so to speak, right? <laughs> yes. and, and they're quite, quite dramatic. Like, they're very striking. And I know all the photographs that floated around on social media afterwards, like the, the ribbon fools, or a lot of photos with the ribbon fools kind of front and center. Really quite a dramatic thing. And it's, it must be interesting to be in your position. Um, and to do all this ethnographic research and talk about this kind of dead tradition, in a way, like ribbon fools were not something that were actually happening, and then to actually see it come back to life must be kind of a fulfilling kind of it sensation. Is. Yeah. It is. I mean, that was our goal, and we, we met it, so that feels really good. Um, of course, it, like like we said earlier, the, what happens in the parade is not what happens in the original way sure. that it's done, but, it, yeah. but, you know, I don't really mind that at all. Um 
And I can see that perhaps this will create other things in the future. Maybe this is something that people within the town of Puchkov can pick up for themselves. Or, um, yeah, you know, I think there's like many possibilities, but it was a great delight to see that. Yeah. And I think sometimes when communities see their own history and their own heritage kind of presented and elevated in that way, they do take a greater pride in it. And you are more likely to see kind of spin off things happen. I know, I know the, the parade itself, you, you've seen um, kind of uh, copycat parades that have happened in other parts of the province that just have kind of sprung up in, in all kinds of locations. Yeah. You actually kind of, you put out some feelers a month or so ago just to see how many, uh-huh. how many there were. Do you have a sense of how many parades there I have been in different places? I think there have been uh, 12 other communities that have had their own parade yeah. and multiple parades since we started. Yeah, uh, which is really neat to see. Um, and what what I love about that is that um, these are communities, people within the communities that are just deciding to do that themselves, um, and they're creating it for their own needs. Some of them have a dance. Some of them are doing in, in, the, in the nighttime. There's the summer mummers parade right. in Bonavista. <laughs> in Bonavista Church Street so Festival, you know, yeah. it's like interesting. Like, there's no rules. There's no ownership around this tradition. Different community groups of people and communities are deciding how they want to shape it for themselves. And I love that part of it. Too. Yeah, I know Arnold's Cove uh, this year, uh, 2016, is having a festival around uh, resettlement. It's their, mm-hmm. one of their resettlement anniversaries, resettlements of the c- communities in Placentia Bay. And one of the things that they want to do is have, again, one of these summer mummer, mummer parades. Right. Uh, and they had phoned me, actually, and said, can you teach us how to do mummering? And I said, like, you don't need me to teach you how to do mummering. <laughs> like, the expertise is in the community. That's right. And I think that that's, you know, you, you mentioned this earlier. I think this is a really interesting model for any kind of festival um, or any kind of program that wants to revitalize tradition, that, that you, you really need to start with that ethnographic community-based research, that you need to get out and see what the tradition actually was on the ground in those communities, and then develop something out of that. Like, don't approach it from a purely theoretical or artistic perspective. Like, actually go in and actually do, do some homework. Mm-hmm. I think that's essential. I, I think it's important to really do that research first without any um, preconceived ideas where is, of where it's going to go necessarily. <clears throat> and uh, you get a lot of really great feedback and ideas from people who know these traditions. I remember the first year we did this, uh, we talked about doing something like a mug-up event uh, in, where was it, Logie Bay, I believe, some sort of event where people would share their community uh, memories of mummering, something like that. And I remember going to interview several people in that community and said that this is our idea. Our idea. We want to do this thing. And they said, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, what I ended up getting from them was the um, they helped with the idea of the rig up. Yeah. And they said, well, what, you know, you should have an event before your parade where everyone can get dressed in advance and we'll come and help you. We'll, you know, if there are people who don't know what to wear, we'll help show them what makes for a good mummer's outfit. And it was from that that initial research stage that really uh, all these programs were born. And I, I like that method or and that, that process. And that rig up is now kind of a firm part of the, the festival day, the parade That's day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if people want to get more information about the festival, where can they where can they go? Mummersfestival.ca. 
Yeah, and yeah. there's a Facebook page. And as there's well. a Facebook page. We have Twitter. We're all over the social media. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, and so, what's next? Uh, we're we're coming to the end. You know, and I know we're going to be several months away still from the Mummers Festival. But what would you like to see happen in the future with the Mummers Festival? Um, well, I would like. Well, next year we're talking about doing um, some stuff around the Wren tradition, which, uh, you know, there's endless number of Christmas traditions that uh, we would love to explore further. So I'm hoping next year will be about the Wren, um, which is also a house visiting tradition, but not necessarily disguised, um, which involves the carrying of a bird and a recitation. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people here will be familiar with that. And, uh, of course, we've never done that much with the Mummers play. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we'd like to see in the future. Another thing that we tried, uh, we've done the last couple of years, is a, a Mummers Dozen pub crawl, um, which um, has been an interesting and fun experience, too, where we um, set up different challenges at different bars. And it's sort of honoring that house-to-house, except it's a pub-to-pub experience. Um and it's also incorporating that boozy part of the tradition, which we can't ignore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the parade again. If you know who I am. Exactly. <laughs> I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>